Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I interview Simon Austin, sports journalist and founder of The Training Ground Guru. We discuss taking the lead and having your own philosophy, looking outside of the traditional or normal patterns, in his case being sports reporting, and of course, shining a light on the work going on behind the scenes in professional football. Here's Simon. Simon, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you today. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, looking forward to it. Good man. Now, I share my views ahead of the interview with each guest around work-life balance. And I'd love to start by asking you, Simon, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Ah. Oh, yeah, I've been thinking about this. I'd I think it differs for every person, really. I, I don't think there's kind of one answer that applies to everyone. Um, and I, I'm still not sure if I've got it right, really, because I love what I do and I'm very engrossed in it. So I do. I spend a lot of time doing it, you know, and you obviously have to be mindful of giving time to other things. like Obviously, your loved ones, your family, exercising, you know, uh, things like that. And also keeping your batteries charged really as well. Cause if you're on something 24 seven, obviously it's going to affect your energy levels and your focus. Um, I think it, it was probably more interesting really when I worked in an office, I think, because I, I found that a bit strange there, I think. So the whole factor of commuting, um, traveling in at the same time, going into the office when you probably don't need to really a lot of the time. You could be a lot more productive at home and there wouldn't be so many people on the roads and public transport. Um, and also the fact that I think it's probably better to base your work on productivity rather, rather than actual hours sat in an office at a desk. Um, because you could be in work for your nine to five, but not very productive for a lot of those hours because there's not a lot going on or, you know, and I, I think it would be a lot more, a lot better to base it on productivity and actually getting stuff done and not be tied to the desk when you're not doing anything. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. That was probably a bit of a rambling answer, but uh, yeah, th there's some of my thoughts. It makes sense to me. And, and it's very much, you know, where, where other people's thoughts are around it, first of all, being personal and different to each of us. And I think it's great what you said there around perhaps basing it more on productivity rather than this rigid, you know, shift pattern or working hours, which, which is what 
you know, in a lot of cases, organisations still still look to do. They want people in, you know, eight till four or nine till five or, you know, whatever that pattern might be. When mm. really, when you start to break things down and look at productivity, that's not going to work for everybody. And, and it's no. certainly, it's not conducive to bringing the best out of people, especially if they're in creative roles. You don't want to stifle that creativity by saying, well, you need to start at nine o'clock and you finish at five. And, and those hours in between are what we pay you for. It's, it's, a, it's quite archaic in, in thinking. And, and the positive for me is that businesses more and more now are starting to come round to this way of thinking that actually, to go back to your earlier point, we don't need everybody in all of the time. No, no. And I think it's also about styles of management, really, because I think the more fearful or insecure manager um, who perhaps doesn't trust their staff enough, they want them there where they can see them, um, you know, monitor them. Whereas I've got a boss, at the, I do actually a, a bit of work for another site, Um couple of days a week and that's remote uh, but there's a lot of trust there and you, you do the best job for each other you know but it, the guy's not looking over me all the time uh, when I do it no and I think there's very few people that actually you know work well under those conditions and respond positively to having somebody constantly over their shoulder looking and checking that, that what they're doing is is right or adding value to the business. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Simon, so moving away from a traditional job title, describe what it is that you do and why people follow you or interact with you. Right, so I set up Training Ground Guru in February 2017, having worked for the BBC for over 10 years and then as a freelancer for national papers. And I just saw a big niche in the market, really. Um, I, I think to really understand what's happening on match day in football, which is covered a lot, I think you need to know what goes on on the training ground during the week um, with the sports scientists, analysts, nutritionists, etc. Um, and I didn't really feel that was being covered in uh, mainstream media. And it was something I was very interested in. Um, probably when I pitched some of these ideas that the papers weren't as interested in them because um, their staple a lot of the time is transfer news, match reports, um, things like that. So that was why I set it up, really. I, I just saw a need and I thought, well, rather than complaining about it, I'll, I'll get on and do it. Um, so that's where we are, really. And I, I guess the following is a lot of people who work at clubs, a lot of the staff, um, and then kind of the broader football fan base, really, who were interested in this type of insight. And, and, and why why that that change or, or that shift? Because you're right. From a I'm a football fan, as as you know, and, and an outsider and observer looking in. A lot of the you know news in, in sport is, as you've said, around transfer or, or gossip. Uh, or you know um, reports that come out you know either prior to to a fixture or or after a fixture with with ratings, why why the shift? Because pretty much everybody else is is doing the same thing. Yeah, I I think it's been a traditional pattern probably, um, 
as controlled by the clubs and as laid out. So you'll have the match on a Saturday or whatever, and the, the journalists will go along and go in the press room, then go in the press box and reports on it. Then the managers will be brought out at the end and they'll do a little press conference. You'll have your press conference in the week at the training ground. And that's just kind of the way things have always been done. And also, I think quite a lot of it is clicks driven, really. So transfer stories do get a lot of clicks, whether they're true or not, a lot of the time, as do the match reports, as do stories about fallouts at training grounds, things like that. So, yeah, I think it's those two reasons, really. The way it's always been done and then what is seen to generate clicks, basically. And having made that, that shift or that leap in, into what you're doing now, what, what are you seeing in, in, in terms of response from, from clubs and, and also fans that you know, are genuinely interested in getting a slightly different angle on, on what's happening with, within their club or, or within the league that their club is on? The response from the staff at the clubs has been very good. It probably took a little while to start with to get trust and respect. But I think once you get that and once people see their contemporaries featuring on the website and they see that we're doing it in a decent, in-depth way, people have been responding very, very well. So that's been great. And then I think as a knock-on, you also then get the kind of the media people at the clubs also respecting it and buying into it. Um, so that's been really good. And, I th- yeah, I think from the general fan base as well, that's been very good as well. I, g- I guess it takes quite a discerning family. Really. You have different levels, don't you, really, of interest. So there will be some people who are just interested in watching the matches, hearing from the managers, hearing about transfers. But then there's a big tranche as well who really want to find out what's going on at their club and to know about tactics on a match day or you know know about injuries and how they're treated so yeah I think it's very very good and I think you do see other outlets kind of addressing that now I'm thinking of BT Sport they'll have quite an in-depth discussion now after a match for about an hour on a particular issue and the pundits will give a lot of insight Um, so I think there are signs of change just exploring a little bit more with, with you, Simon, what, what's your why for, for doing this, the, the, the purpose in, in going down this, this different angle? And The first thing is what I was talking about earlier. So to give insight into areas that I think are very, very important. So, you know, I've been a sports journalist pretty much since I started out, really. So getting on 20 years so I've always had the passion for football and for sport and for journalism. And I think this is a very important area, a growing area that hasn't really been covered. So that's the first thing to give that insight. I, I always think of that as a key word, really, insight. And then if a reader says that was interesting, that, that's enough for me. You know, I'm, that's kind of a good starting point. And I feel I've done my job there. And the other thing, I'd, I have always wanted to have my own site as well um and something to be in control of kind of push your own philosophy your own ideas lead in in the way that you want you know because i've had as i say probably getting on 20 years working for the bbc and papers and you get your own idea of how you'd want to run a business and an enterprise so there yeah they're the two things really i think 
insight into an important area and running my own business. You're, you're clearly passionate about what you do and, you know, listening to you and, and having, you know, attended one of your events last year, this this insight is, is, is paramount in terms of, you know, how, how you position what you do and, and what you're looking to create. I, have you found that there are there are less parameters or, or boundaries now that you have, you know, stepped away from, you know, mainstream journalism to a degree you haven't got the likes of the bbc or anybody else saying that you have to do things in in, in a certain way is, is my thinking right in, in in that respect yes yeah yeah definitely i mean obviously when you're your own boss you can do things your way and as i say it can be frustrating if you think you've got a very good idea that people will be interested in and a commissioning editor turns it down you know and if you think they're wrong that that can be very frustrating so I don't have that now so there, there is definitely a lot more freedom but I think you also always have to think about your readers really as well and what they want and that's who you're ultimately serving and why you're doing it so I, yeah I don't have total freedom but I think that's a good thing because you are serving your readers and thinking what they want and listening to their feedback and looking at the stats for what they read. So I kind of think of them as my boss now, to be honest. That's a, it's, it's an interesting way of, of looking at it. Are you finding that, you know, having stepped away and, you know, going down the route that you are, that with that trust that you, you have with, with certain people within, within certain clubs, are they, are they more open uh, with you in terms of what they share? And, and the reason I say that is there's often this perception with, with certainly sport and, and journalism that that people are almost coached or told what they can and can't say. And, and a, an example of that would be, you know, a, a team at the top of the league always coming out, whether it's a, a player or the manager, and saying, oh, we're focused on one game at a time or we're focused on the next game. Do you, do you, are you finding people are less considered and, and and perhaps a little bit more open with you when when you're speaking with yeah there's probably twofold really I, I think they definitely are because of the nature of the pieces we're doing have been more in depth usually i'll go and meet someone one-on-one -on -one and we'll, we'll have about an hour a bit like you do yourself whereas if it's that kind of post-match interview for five minutes they are coached and they do want to get it over with and it's very quick and that kind of lends itself to those practiced answers. Whereas what I do is away from that and it's more in depth, probably a bit more scientific, really. It's going into a lot more detail if you talk to a head physio or a sports scientist. So I think people see the nature of what I'm doing and what we're doing and they like that and they're talking more about their craft. So we don't get it, but then people are, I don't know if guarded is the right word, but they're, they can be careful because it's uh, patient sort of confidentiality, isn't it? I guess a lot of the time you're dealing with a player's medical situation and performance situation. So practitioners have to be careful there really not to uh, betray confidences and not, not to kind of betray any secrets as well of their employer, of the club. So if that makes sense there, they're open and in-depth, but they have to be a bit careful as well not to betray confidences of the player and the club. 
yeah that that makes sense and you know the depth that you're going into you know suggests straight away that you know you, you're not after the sound bite you're you're not yeah. after the the headline uh, if mm. you like you're you're more interested in you know through that insight getting the intricacies of of, of what's going on in in a particular situation do, do you think people perhaps see that as as more authentic rather than you know traditionally how how people are looking to to work an angle and, and get a story out of something i think so definitely yeah i i actually worked for the sun for a bit for well it was for about four months and i did quite a bit of freelancing for them and i i actually have respect for quite a bit of what they do but what i found a bit frustrating and inauthentic was there always had to be an angle to a story. So you'd take a quote and you could take it out of context and you have to make it, you have to have that spectacular top line. And that can be inauthentic because you're twisting what the person said. And, and you're not just presenting it as it is. So, so I don't think I have that. I don't have the readership they do, but I think I have more authenticity for my audience. Um, and they know I'm not twisting things or creating an angle or creating a headline um so i think yeah definitely yeah i mean it comes through in in your website and you know the content that you have on your website and what you're putting out there is you know there's a lot of in-depth stories that it doesn't favor one club over another either uh, or it doesn't it doesn't position you know one club over another there's there's always the, the the big six or the top six in 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 the premiership and Everybody else is in in either in the dogfight or, or in the middle of nowhere in the middle, and you're you're very, I think you're very genuine in terms of how you you know have positioned it and, and how you come across. Is it, it was that part of your thinking when when you decided and and settled on on how you wanted it to to look and feel? I yeah I probably didn't think about that really explicitly, but but I did think that I wanted to make it authentic as you say and not twist what people say and even kind of tell it first person sometimes in someone's own words and people are going to have to maybe spend a bit more time reading but I think that's definitely worth it in the end but it's an interesting point you raise actually I probably not thought about that much in that if you go on social media fans can be so partisan really about their club can't they um yeah and they'll often feel you're attacking your their club or being negative about it and they get very very tribal so i think i have avoided that on the site without explicitly meaning to which has been a good thing definitely yeah a lot a lot of the media is is driven by negative stories because that that you know again that captures you know people's attention and and it might be with the headline or, or what sits underneath it mm. your your content is it's all positive in terms of it, it's through inquiry, it's through interest. Um, you have a genuine desire because because of you know your background and and the love of football and the love of sport. It, it must be a breath of fresh air, I would imagine, for for fans you know who take the time to to read the content that they're not being bombarded with with negative stories all the time. Mm. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. Thanks for that. The, the response on social media is very good, actually. And I'd, I'm, I'm always very chuffed that there's not really that backbiting or negativity or tribalism. Or it, It's always very 
inquisitive, positive. People might disagree, but they'll express it in a positive way and explain why and explain themselves. Um, and there's been a lot of good discourse on there. Whereas probably on my personal account where as a legacy of, I probably put more opinion on there and I did work for papers. Um, you, you can encounter a lot more negativity there really. And that tribalism and entrenched views and, it can just be very unproductive, really, at the end of the day. And you don't get very far other than backbiting and slagging off, you know. But the Guru account has not been like that at all, which has been really good. But that's good to hear. And, and I just want to explore briefly the what, what, it, what it's like as a, as a journalist on, on social media and, and what some of that tribalism can can mean sometimes when, when you're trying to put a point across and, and invariably it will be your point um what, what what's what, what's that been like for you to be able to in some ways step away from you know the legacy and what you've done previously and have this this other account account the training ground guru account where, where actually you're, you're not experiencing that what, what's that like for you it's been very refreshing definitely because i think i've spoken to you about this before actually but Especially as journalists, we get drawn to social media. That's where you market your stories. And it's where a lot of the readership comes from now. Because actually the vast majority of people read my stories via social media, seeing them on there, rather than coming straight to the homepage um, in the morning or whatever. But it, it can be a very negative place, really. And you can waste a lot of time on there, I think. And you know, it, it could cause a lot of upset as well, really. I, th I think the problems are, and I've been guilty of this, but you can put opinion on there. And there, there could just be a lot of ego as well, really, which, you know, I've been guilty of as well. You think your opinion deserves to be heard. But the problem is you haven't got many characters. So things do get distilled into sound bites, And you often can't explore an issue properly and have a, a proper discussion with sound bites. And people just get very entrenched views as well, because... I suppose we have a tendency to follow people who have a similar mindset and agree with us. So you can get these silos, really. And things can get very entrenched. People don't listen to other people. It could quickly descend to, you know, kind of name calling and abuse. And it can be a, a very negative place. You can waste a lot of time and energy on there. But the positive side is, as I say, the Guru account, where I don't really put opinions on there. And it's more story-based, fact-based. Um, there have been very, very good discussions and good feedback. So it, it's been very positive on there. Well, it's good. I mean, it, it must, you know, reaffirm in your own mind that actually making that decision to, you know, step away and pursue a, a different approach, a different angle has, has been the right one for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. That was something I thought about at the outset and then kind of organically it, it becomes more so really and you develop an identity and a philosophy and that's definitely been one really not to put opinions on there, not to get involved in backbiting or arguments and yeah, it, it's been very good, definitely very refreshing. Do, do you think other journalists may adopt a similar approach or, or take a different approach in the future? I think some do naturally already, but there is a tendency uh, for this 
kind of ego-driven social media, really. As I say, which I've been guilty of myself. And I guess some journalists see people who put very strong opinions out there and are very controversial and kind of the shock jock approach. And I would think people like Piers Morgan and Katie Hines and, you know, the list could go on. And they've gained a lot of followers as a result of that. So some people could perceive that it's worked for them. But I would just say you've got to look at what you're doing on there, really, because just having a lot of followers is not enough in itself, really, I wouldn't say. And I read a good quote in in a book I read, actually. I think it said having a lot of followers um, is kind of as true a representation of success as being a millionaire in Monopoly, which... (laughs) I love that. I've not heard that quote, but it it, it resonates with me. And and there's a lot of truth in in, in that. You know, we we, we can seek, you know, a a huge following. But 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 actually, is it adding any any value? Is it does it mean anything other than bragging right? As we say, I would say, like with the Training Ground Guru account, it's more important to have that sort of clear philosophy a good following who respect what you're doing and engage with it properly and um know what they're doing really rather than just big numbers for the sake of big numbers yeah i i would echo that thought and you know it does go back to having that clear philosophy at the start uh, as to you know why you're doing what you're doing and and clearly for you um it, it served you well yeah yeah definitely no, and thanks for saying that. It It is interesting that that kind of um, shock jock approach does seem to gain a lot of followers, though. That is quite interesting because I, I look at someone like Chris Sutton, who actually people who've worked with him say he's a very nice guy and he was a very good footballer, um, etc. But he's kind of taken a controversial stance, I think, since he became a pundit and... A lot of the time, I don't think there's a lot, a lot of substance to um, a lot of the, the tweets, but he's developed a very big following quite quickly. So um, it, it's worked in, in that way. But it's that question of whether a big following's enough on it on its own. Maybe it is for for a pundit, but not so so much for others. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one because he always came across as quite a quiet, um, more introverted type character. When, when he in his playing days, but clearly since he he stepped into a punditry role, he he has developed a or, or shown a different persona. He may have had that already. We don't know. I don't know him well enough. Uh, but but it certainly would appear that he is wanting to set out to be a little bit more controversial, um, yeah. which, which you know some some people are quite happy to to follow and latch onto and and put their opinion across at the same time as well yeah yeah because i mean twitter in particular can be a very shouty medium can't it really um sound bites entrenched views shouting name calling you know <laughs> but um I, yeah i guess there's a place for that maybe some people enjoy that um and there's that factor of anonymity again isn't there really that you would be very rude to someone in the virtual world and speak to them in a way that you never would in the real world but that it can be very negative and very tiring really i think yeah i've often said that to my wife as as 
one of us is scrolling through Twitter. Sometimes, some days, it's just full of nonsense or nastiness, and and you you just you just think, why why do people bother? But but clearly, you know, it is a platform. It's lots of positives around it as well. But there are times when you know, personally, I just I just disengage and think oh, I need to go and do something else because yeah. it's just it's just not having a positive impact on on my life at that moment in that time. No, no, definitely. I, I mean, I've made a lot of those mistakes myself, so um, I'm not saying it's other people's problem or doing and not mine. But I've come to take a bit of a, a different view of it um, since setting up the site. Definitely. Okay, now going back to uh, the training ground guru. It, itself where, where do you see it in the future yeah i was thinking about that earlier on actually i've i've, got, I've dealt with it quite organically really um I, I, maybe a lot of successful businesses have a very um clear plan and you know the kind of one year five year that i've never really had that and i don't know if that's a bad thing but i just want to keep growing the audience i want to do more events like the one that you uh, kindly came to and I've got some ideas for that. Uh, so I want to do more and hopefully a couple of bigger ones as well. More video, more CPD stuff, so career development uh, video. Ideally, actually showing some of this stuff in practice. So showing coaching sessions or um, kind of, you know, physiotherapy work, things like that. And yeah, maybe maybe a bit more of a kind of recruitment angle as well. So I'm not 100% sure about exactly how to do that, but... There's a lot of interest in what jobs people do. So that's an angle I'm interested in. Yeah, and to, to keep keep growing it really, you know, month by month and make it sustainable as well as a business in its own right. Is it very much just yourself looking after the business, Simon? Or, or, or are there other people that are con- contributing or you see contributing in the future, doing some of the, you know, the content? That, that you've talked about there in terms of you know video and cpd yeah so i've had a very good uh, designer and developer who's been on board from the start called uh, james seddon who runs a, a company in manchester called cotton creative and he, he's been heavily involved from the start and I, I couldn't have done it all without him so he's built the site the usability the look of it um you know he does all the graphics and so on so he's been heavily involved. And then it's been freelancers, really, otherwise, who, who I've used as and when. Um, and again, I've found some very good people. So I had someone called Abby Brennan, who um, has done quite a lot of the filming and editing. I've used Ben Durs, who's a brilliant writer, who's done a lot of interviews on the site and has his own section on there. Uh, so he's interviewed Cipriani, Danny Cipriani, Alan Smith, Brian Ashton. And yeah, then just kind of freelance writers otherwise. But yeah, I think for it to grow, it, it will need more more people involved on a, on a more full-time basis going forward. And, and do you see it taking on more sports and, and evolving in, in that way as well? It, it, there's a lot of football content on there and I know there's, there's, there's rugby content as well and, and I think I've seen some other content on the site. Do, do you see it naturally evolving in, into other areas in the future i don't for a while to be honest because i just think football's so huge on its own and i I think there's so much we can cover in football really and so much more and really i'll still look to other sports but i think mainly 
to see what football can learn from them. So we have done stuff with Brian Ashton, who's more from a, a rugby background, uh, or Danny Cipriani, but it's been what football can learn from them, really. So I, I don't see that for a while, no. No, and, and you know, going back to your, you know, earlier conversation around your philosophy and and the insight and and the drivers behind, you know, setting it up in the first place, it, it's been born out of football, and mm. you know that there's there's always a a danger that you can try and become anything and everything to anyone and everyone. Um, yeah. Whereas actually, you know, to, to take your point there, football is you know the number one sport. Uh, in, in in the UK, it's what you know a lot of people talk about uh, each and every day. Uh, certainly after there's been a match and, and people are heading back into the office, so it may well be that, that there is no need in even in the future to you know branch out into other sports, um, no. especially if you continue to you know find those opportunities or the opportunities come to you like Brian Ashton and, and Danny Cipriani, whereby you know, there's something there that can be, you know, taken into the to, to the world of, of football from from another sport. Yeah, yeah. I've I've come to think the same with stories as well, actually, over time. But I think you're much better picking a specific area or a specific theme and then covering that in depth rather than the kind of broad brushstroke, really. So I think that goes for stories and the site as a whole. And I'd imagine it's true for what you do as well. You've got a, a very clear objective and a clear brand. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's what's needed, really. Yeah, I think the temptation is always, it's always there to, you know, add something else and, and, and look at something else. But, but you know, it's about being clear on what, what it is that you do stand for and what you do represent. And, you know, standing firm with that and, and continuing to explore it and nurture it and, and develop it. And, you know, there's there's a, enough space out there for, for people be to, to, to have their own niche and to be doing a niche rather than thinking that actually I need to do this, this and this as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the way media's gone, actually, as well. Um, people have a particular interest now and they want to get a lot of detail on that. So whether it is sports science or a particular club or mindset, they really want to become experts in that field rather than the old sort of newspaper model where everything's covered within 60 pages or whatever, but maybe in quite a superficial way a lot of the time. I think because of digital media and podcasts and websites and blogs, People can become experts in one specific field now, as readers and as journalists. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's there's so much more available on any you know specific or chosen area that you know over a you know relatively short space of time you can you know assume a lot of new knowledge and and you know develop that quite quickly to to become an expert in in a particular area and and not feel the need you know, to, you know, have other skills or, or other tools in your toolkit. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and we all have hobbies or interests, don't we, really? That's always been the same, but now you can really hone in on it, you know, rather than having to go to mainstream media covering everything in quite a broad brushstroke way. Where, where do you see mainstream media in, in the future, just out of interest? <laughs> well, that's yeah, quite a difficult <laughs> question. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 
it does need to evolve really because the the old models definitely aren't working of you know advertising in papers or on tv that revenue's gone down a lot and also people don't want to pay as much now for cover price of papers or subscriptions um so yeah i think it definitely does need to evolve that's quite a tricky question really that's why i look more at things like events yeah so yeah like events is a new model that a lot of people are going towards or whether there will be more subscription where people are willing to pay for a cpd element or some very specialist information you know I think the Times actually do quite well with with their subscription. So it just needs to evolve. But, yeah, I haven't got the uh, magic answers, really, aside from what I'm trying to do. No, and and again, it just, you know, reaffirms in my own mind that you are, you're focused on what you're doing and you're comfortable with with your approach and and what it is that you're seeking and wanting to share. And the mainstream media will, in some ways, take care of itself, albeit, you know, it does need to change and, and there will be changes and more change in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, have you got any thoughts on that yourself? I, I think you can you can see a, sh- a shift or a move away from your traditional people wanting to, to pick up a, a physical newspaper and, and read it. And, and so, you know, media's had to transition into the you know technological world some have done it better than others but but i think outside of that now there's there's probably a different competition to mainstream media which which is free and and which is is accessible so either your you know the likes of your huffington post examples or, or even just you know having alerts on your phone that that provide you with you know, a 60 second snapshot of, of what's happening in, in, in any particular part of, of the media, whether it be politics or, or sport, you know, how we consume that information is, is very different. And I think it'll be the consumers, if you like, so ourselves when, when we're consuming that will play a huge part in, in what that looks like in the future. But like you, I, I did, there's no simple answer, is there? No, no, there just has to be a way of funding it, really, because... I do think journalism is a profession and a skill, and it is one that the I think the public value um, ultimately. But you know, you, you've got to pay for that, really, as with anything else. So, I just think this model of everything being given away for free obviously doesn't really work because we saw it with the Guardian; they grew very big numbers digitally, and they put a lot of money into it, but they made huge losses because they had no plan for how they were going to make revenue. So. That that's not really good for anyone if that happens. No, it's it's not a good model. And as much as we all like a freebie, at the same time, we're also comfortable, you know, paying a price. And 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 that price might well, it, it will vary. It might be a low price or it might be a premium. But if we feel that there's value attached to it, and and you're right, you know. Journalism is, is, is an art, is a skill. You know, it's yeah. not something everybody can do, but, but it comes at a price. If we feel we're getting value because of the insight and, and the depth that that particular journalist is providing, then, then we'll pay for it. You know, and, and, and there'll always be that differentiator be, between the 
professional, if you like, although I'm so I'm sure some don't act professionally, but the professional, as in the profession, versus the amateur that has potentially just scrolled the internet uh, or social media and 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 thrown something together. That's more around their, you know, their skill and their ability to you know, draw on information and, and represent it almost rather than get to the heart of, you know, what a, a, a professional journalist will do in terms of finding the story and what it is that's going to resonate and generate that interest in the reader. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because there's been a bad move. Um, I won't uh, keep you too long on this, but there, there's been a very bad move towards clickbait, really. So you will get journalists now. I feel a bit sorry for young journalists. They'll just be sat in the office. Um, they won't pick up the phone. They don't go out. And they're just trawling the internet, really, for stories to copy. Um, and I've had that happen a few times uh, with Training Ground Guru, where stories are just cut and pasted, no attributions put on, no link. Um, I've even had it with a, a top journalist, a, a chief football writer on a major national paper who's just taking a story and put it down as his own exclusive. And again, I think that's very bad for everyone, really, for the journalists, for the readers, um, for the industry as a whole. So I think if a better model could be found, people wouldn't see the need to do that journalism or clickbait yeah. journalism, which is ju just a bit rubbish. Yeah, it's kind of everything I stand against, really, in journalism. And and it, in, in many ways, it, it's lazy and it, mm -hmm. it's not... It's not required, you know, if somebody's, you know, gone out of the way and took the time to, you know, find a, an individual to, to get a story which, you know, they think is going to resonate with people for, for whatever reason, give them the credit. And, and I've, I've seen it, you know, through your social media that there have been instances where, you know, other people have, have looked to take credit and you can see quite clearly you know, that, that that work, that energy, that effort has come through, you know, training ground guru. Give give whoever it might be, yourself included, the credit and, and, um, and present it in that way and have your integrity intact rather than, you know, people questioning that person's integrity in the future and thinking, well, why, why should I believe that, that this person is writing an exclusive when actually previously they haven't, they, they just copied mm -hmm. somebody else's work. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it comes back to what you were saying earlier about the philosophy and identity and ideals. Um, and you're, you're probably sacrificing those just to get short-term clicks, really. Um, but you're going to lose more long-term, I think. Yeah, you'll lose, you lose the respect of the people around you, but, but you'll lose the readership because actually, you know, People will see that and they'll go. They'll be more inclined to read your content and and go and visit your website than perhaps go to one of the national newspapers on the back of you know just one instance. So it, mm. it's it's not going to help people in in the long run. You're right. In the short term, it will get clicks and followership, but you know in the long run, it won't it won't add any value at all. No, no, definitely. Right, Simon, I have what I call some 60-second quickfire questions towards the end of each guest interview, really just to give the listener a little bit more uh, of insight into who you are as a person. So are you ready to answer some quickfire questions? Yeah. So do I have to answer within 60 seconds, do I? Do? Yeah, so these, these are just going to roll quite quickly. So I'm not right. going to give you too long to think about it. Okay. Um, I suspect I know the answer to the first question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. 
social media platform of choice if you could only use one? Yeah, yeah Twitter. <laughs> okay, good. Do you, do you use other social media platforms? I do, yeah. The, the best other one's been LinkedIn, actually, which I'd always thought was a bit useless when I worked before at the Beeb and for papers. But it's been really good for this because it's got together a, an audience or kind of a family of coaches, practitioners. People are really interested in the craft and what I'm covering. And there's been some yeah, really good readership and engagement on there. Um, so that, that's been the other best one, definitely. Okay. And I think that's actually the best in terms of how long people spend reading the stories and um, things like that. So it's kind of a really good quality audience on there. I, I, I'm not surprised in some ways because, you know, you're providing something that is typically different to, to your traditional LinkedIn, um, you know, story or, or page when, when, when you log in or you sign in. Um, and, and I would imagine it, it's captured, you know, quite a bit of attention because people are interested in you know, depth and insight, which, which you're providing as well. So, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. Mm, yeah okay someone that you admire and admit to following on social media wow i'll have a little think about that okay. well there's quite a few actually yeah sorry it was meant to be quick far wasn't it Can you <laughs> get out the silences <laughs> we could we can work some miracles okay choose three well, guests actually, sorry um tony strudwick who um was the manchester united head of performance now with wales quite active on social media and I just think he's a really good custodian of the industry, quite often without any self-interest. So he's spoken at my first event and he's a sounding board for me. Um, and I, yeah, I think just because he cares about the industry and what's going on in it and people coming through. Um, so yeah, he's someone I admire, definitely. Okay, good man. Choose three guests to have to dinner, past or present. All right, wow. Well, yeah, people I admire Steve Jobs, um, definitely, ex of Apple. I'm not sure what kind of companion he would be. Um, <laughs> possibly fairly bombastic, but I just admire the fact that he dared to be different and he was so single-minded um, and obsessive and did things totally differently, which can be very, very difficult. Blimey, that is a hard one. Um <laughs> Yeah, John Updike, who is my favourite author, who I'm a big fan of. Um, okay. He's now dead, deceased. Um, but the way that he totally recreated a life in it, particularly his rabbit books. I don't know if you've ever read those. No, I'm uh, intrigued. Yeah, so he'd be another one. And then um, these are all older men, aren't they? Maybe um, Brian Ashton, who's become a friend of mine, a very, very interesting thinker. 72 years old but someone said he still thinks like a university graduate um always open to ideas thinking of new things um so yeah go with those three off the top of my head okay that's gonna that's gonna be a lively meal with yeah these three although it, although i don't know um i don't know john updike i haven't come across him but i would imagine brian ashton and steve jobs in the same room would be an interesting combination yeah yeah <laughs> it's a demographic there isn't it really older white men but yeah <laughs> okay a book and or a podcast that you're currently reading or listening to 
Sorry, my mind's gone blank at this point. You might have to uh, edit out these silences. I am reading a book. I'm trying to remember what it is. Oh, blimey. I'm going to say it must be a good book. Yeah, sorry, I've gone to pieces <laughs> um, Okay, let's come back to the book question. Let me ask the you. The I read was Damien's, actually, the uh, Barcelona way. Ah, okay. Which was very interesting. I know he's been on the podcast and he um, spoke at the event as well, which was brilliant to get him along to that. And he, he was a fantastic speaker. Um, so that was really interesting about the importance of culture. Yeah, he's, he's, he's done his work with that. But I mean, I, I interviewed him uh, before that book came out and I'd, I'd read the Winning Mindset one before then. So I had an idea of, of you know, the, the type of work he did. I really enjoyed the Barcelona Way book because, you know, culture, having come from the corporate world and, and worked in different cultures and, and seen how easy it is to get it wrong, really fascinated me that, that he was able to, you know, pinpoint that Barcelona culture down to four or five different key things that actually, you know, on reflection, you could transfer into any team or business or organization so yeah i found that fascinating as well yeah yeah and podcasts i do listen to yours um i'm not just saying that which i always find very interesting um and also a guy called josh schneiderweiler um who does a podcast called this football life um and he'll basically get figures from football often the ones that i'm covering in performance and coaching um, and, and tell their life story. And it's really interesting, actually. Um, and it, he's become a friend of mine through that. I've covered quite a lot of those stories on the site as well. Um, so that's a good one if uh, no one's across that already. Okay, that's good. I'm always looking for new and different uh, podcasts to listen to. So I'll check out uh, this football life. Mm. Simon, a guilty pleasure, which you do when you have some time to yourself. It probably is social media, to be honest, um, which is a bit sad. Um, I spend far too much time on there, but I'm drawn to it a lot. Um, and looking at the analytics on my website, which is, again, is a bit sad and uh, something I should get away from. Um, but my, my, yeah, my partner would uh, attest to that, definitely. I, I think you, you framed it as sad, but for me, I'm... I'm... I'm going to, you know, make it a little bit more um, agreeable for you. I'll take it right back to what you said at the very start uh, of our conversation, and that was you very much loving what you do. And and when you love what you do, sometimes, you know, you, when you when you're you know spending time in the evening um, looking at uh, either social media or, or analytics on the website, it's because of that reason that actually you love what you do. Yeah, I saw a good quote actually from someone called Lawrence Jones, who uh, runs a company called UK Fast, yeah. very successful company in Manchester. And he said, one person's obsession is another person's dedication. So there I might go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I've got three final questions for you. First one, who would you like to see or hear as a future guest on the Perfect Imbalance podcast? Yeah, I would, I would come back to uh, Brian again, actually. I, d I don't think you've had on so far who has got a lot of experience at the top end of sport. And I just always find a very interesting uh, 
speaker and someone who's very authentic and very genuine. He doesn't say things just to curry favour or to get on. Um, they are always well thought out and authentic. So I, th- I think he'd be good. Okay, I, I would agree. Um, having heard him uh, and seen him last year at one of your events, and if you're if you're quite happy to uh, make that introduction, mm. I will uh, forever be in your debt. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, what projects are you currently working on and how can the listeners find out more about these or just what you're doing in general? So, yeah, I've got a couple of stories I'm working on. Um, I did a very interesting interview with a guy called Dave Fever, who was um, head physio at Man United when they won the treble uh, under Sir Alex Ferguson. He then went on to Blackburn Rovers, actually, for personal reasons. Um, And he is very interested on the state of the industry and the way it's changed. Um, And he's got some great insights on Sir Alex Ferguson as well, which I'm always fascinated in, really, because he just seems such a fantastic sporting leader. Um, And staff who've worked with him speak so highly of him. And there's kind of this love there, really, which is different than you might expect of him. But Dave's got some great insights again. And, yeah, I'm always fascinated in those. Okay. We'll yeah. keep an eye out for that one when it when, when it comes out. And, yeah. and in terms of your, your website and your social media, Simon, I, I will make sure that they're included within the show notes that, that go out so that listeners can, can find you and uh, start a conversation with you and, and, and read some of the fabulous content that you've got already yeah. on the website. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. One final takeaway for the listeners. This can be anything. I would say, I I had a little think about this to start with, and I would say, it sounds easy, but just be yourself, basically, because I think there's a lot of pressure to, A, conform to a certain image of a successful life, and also to follow the lead of others, But I I think that's the road to ruin, really, a lot of the time. Um, So I see things that will really annoy me on uh, social media, like successful leaders get up at 5 a.m. You know, you should get up at 5 a.m. too. And people will then follow that. But everyone's different. You know, everyone's got a different body clock. Everyone's got a different view of success, you know, and where they're headed. Everyone's got their own journey and their own story. So I would just say, yeah, that's the big thing, really. And then people, I probably did this, but you can panic in your 20s that you're not being successful enough. Um, But that's often, again, someone else's view of success, really, be it your parents or your contemporaries or people you see in the media. So that would be my big one, definitely. And, that, yeah, there's a good quote from Steve Jobs, actually, again, about that. But he, he said, your time is limited, so don't live someone else's life which i think is a great quote well you've left us with you know a a couple of messages there but very much around the same thing thank you very much indeed simon for agreeing to take the time out and come on the show it's been an absolute pleasure to find out a little bit more about why you're doing what you do uh, and also some of the stories that sit behind it so thank you very much again for for agreeing to come on the show no, brilliant. Thanks for asking me, Jeff. Um, really enjoyed it. Now, if you enjoyed the interview with Simon, then please do start a conversation with him on Twitter. 
You can also find out more details about the Training Ground Guru website within the show notes. If you've liked this episode, please do leave the show a rating and a review on iTunes or the platform that you use to listen to podcasts. Get involved on social media and ask us a question or share your feedback using the hashtag perfectimbalance. Check out all the episodes to date by clicking on the link in the show notes. Tune in next time to hear me talking with Phil White, who some of you will remember featured in Series 1 on Episode 5. Until then, remember this. When you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success, increasing your happiness, or looking for greater fulfilment. Bye for now.